I just want to give a big to my boy, Texas Prison Stories, Tim Snow. Man, a lot of people don't know, man, that the moment that you shared my video, man, man, you put me on the map. Man, my numbers just started to proliferate, bro. So I just want to say thank you, man. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, bro. I really appreciate that, bro. You know, because of you, man, you've allowed me to, to give other people voices and other people platforms, man. And, and that's amazing within itself, bro. So deep down inside, man, I just want to say thank you, bro. Straight up, man. If you haven't already checked out Tim Snow or checked the screen stories, you definitely want to check him out, man. Because he has a real gift in being able to tell his stories. He really knows how to paint the picture and take you there. So trust me, you definitely want to go check him out. Texas Prison Stories, go subscribe. Texas Prison Story family. Stories written by a current prisoner. Salute, y'all. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button. Make sure you subscribe. I want to say first thank you to you, Tony. I love your channel, man. You're the only guy out here that's doing what I'm trying to do. You put no ego into it. You put no pride into it. You don't even care about showing your face, brother. You're out here telling these kids what's real. And you're giving them stories that's true. And I thank you from Texas, brother. A lot of people on these prison channels, they like to tell the winning stories. How everything went right. How they had the keys. How they were in charge. But they don't like to talk about when things went wrong. When they were scared. When they didn't know what to do. When their locker was empty. And it happens to everybody, man. There's nobody in there staying up constantly. As soon as your money hits your books, your unit might lock down. And you have nothing. You might be on a six-month lockdown. Come up not even having time to make commissary. Bam, go back on another one. That's the real life of prison. It doesn't have to be California. It doesn't have to be Texas. All 50 states remove you from society. All 50 states take you from your children and your mother. You can't take care of either one of them from the inside. A lot of the chaos on the inside is orchestrated, whether it be by the administration or by the inmates. They know what's gonna happen, it's planned, and it's designed to make men break, fold, and feed the others. It's a game that you just don't wanna play. And I don't care if you're the hardest man you have the best paperwork and you're the realest cat in your neighborhood you can go down that road and everything go wrong and your life can be over or you can be spending life in a box and none of us want that what happened to me basically was a story of loyalty of me being real me spotting somebody I know needing help and me trying to come to the rescue and me getting ground up and defeated that man later caught PC took off and he was fine while I was in the hospital repairing and that's how your friends that you're loyal to will do you everything you have to think about every day on the inside is who's loyal to you who's around you and what will they do when things go wrong and you never know the answer until it happens I was literally almost two years into my sentence. I've been doing my time with respect, having fun actually, hustling, running my own store, having no worries. 
I was just sitting in the chow hall with one of my homies eating, chopping it up, reminiscing. And a Hispanic guy walked up to us, which ain't, is not normal. And he said, yo, Tim, there's a man that just showed up from Galveston down here. He's Hispanic with gold teeth and a bunch of tattoos. And I think you know him. You need to come see what's up. They're having a problem. So me being the man that I am, and I do consider myself loyal, I am from Galveston. And you just presented me this problem. So I need to go take care of it, at least find out what's going on. Because that's what happens. Situations fall in your lap. Down here, we take care of that situation. We don't pass it to the next person. Because the next man will ask you, why didn't you take care of it? When something like this happens in prison and somebody's bringing it to you, nine times out of ten, him and his people are watching you and everybody else to see how you react to see how your car reacts, how everybody else reacts to your car. And you don't want to get it wrong. You don't want to embarrass them or yourself. And especially when you're a four-man tiny car like we were. When I got there, I didn't know exactly who to talk to about a lot of the things. And I had very few conversations with whites or Hispanic inmates the entire time. So when he told me about this, I found my friend Big C. Big C was about 10 years in at the time. He had done most of that time in TDC and transferred over there to Beaumont Medium with us. But he was a hell of a convict and I always respected his opinion. When I told C that the Mexican from Galveston was 52 Hoover just like him, he looked at me and told me to go get him, do whatever I got to do. So I told him, okay, C. When C told me that, I went and found my friend Studi Wood. Studi Wood was the actual spokesman for the Houston car. And we rode real tight with them, almost like the same thing. I told Studi what was going on, and I needed some help talking to the main Vato. And he told me, okay, no problem, when he heard the situation. So he sent a message down to the speaker and we literally met out there during the child time rec yard. Anybody that's been to prison knows that the rec yard is almost totally empty during child time. So if you want to have an important meeting or something happen with almost no witnesses, that's when you do it. We walk over to the basketball courts. Studi Wood walks over there to the Vatos. He talks to the main man and weighs me over there. Vato nods his head, I do too. And he said, what's up? And I told him, hey man, heard you got a guy from Galveston down there. It's going to be a situation or whatever. See, I need you to let him make it, man. He's 52 Hoover. He's riding with us. The dude looked at us and said, he didn't tell us he was five deuce. And I said, man, he didn't even have a chance if I know y'all. I said, I'm letting you know he is, and he's with us, man. Dude, I can see the irritation on dude's face. He said, listen, man, any Hispanic that hits this compound, I have a right to check him. And I told him, true enough, but that's not a Hispanic. That's five deuce. Big difference, homie. He looked at me, I could tell he was even more irritated. 
He said, okay, bet that. Tell him pack up and move in with a black dude today, man. We don't want him. Don't talk to any of us. We won't talk to him. And I told him, bet that. Everything good? He nodded his head and told me everything was good. And me and Studi Wood walked off. As me and Studi walk off, we proceed to start looking for anybody in our friend's dorm. We find one guy send a message to tell the essay to come out next wreck. And we stay out and wait on him. When he gets there, he shook up, man. When he realizes it's me, I see a big old smile. And I tell him, what's up, cuz? I see him get a little nervous. I say, man, chill. I got everything straightened. But you got to move in with one of the homies, man. You're in there with Ace. Move your stuff up there with them tonight. They'll talk to the counselor. Leave the Mexicans alone. They'll leave you alone. And he looked at me and said, you sure? I said, I'm positive, cuz. I said, all right, bet. I shoot the message to somebody else. Tell Danny. Shout out to Danny from Galveston with the one arm ace. Danny come to the next child, which he almost never did. So me and Danny now we're the next child. And I'm telling him, yo, man, move the SA in with you. Talk to the counselor. Make sure he don't do nothing with no vatos. He looked at me and said, you sure? I said, yeah, man, I'm positive. I said, all right. About three days go by after we had a little meeting with the Vato. Same day, Danny moves him in. Everything's good. They're coming to chair. I see them kicking it, starting to get to know each other. I shot him down the care package, some food, some stamps. He would meet us on the yard. It's like, uh, just like it was supposed to. Now we got a five-man car. It was cool. Then the fourth morning, I woke up by myself. I was hungry as can be, man. I ain't gonna lie. Almost nobody, well, nobody from our car, almost nobody from the Houston car ever went to breakfast. But I didn't think it was no big deal. I went a million times by myself, nothing happened. Even though it's a compound where you really ain't supposed to go by yourself. Just the mornings were so peaceful, I'd do it, man. I don't know what I was thinking. No knife, nothing. So I literally, I sat in there and eat breakfast. Nobody in there with me. Got some Vatos on the other side. A couple black dudes from different cars over here on our side. White dudes over there. And I just take my time. Nothing good anyway, Cheerios. Had those nine months straight. When I'm done, I put my tray up, walk outside. And almost as soon as I get outside, they blow the whistle. Tell everybody, get on the ground. There's a fight by laundry. The compound's big, and I really couldn't see what was going on, but I could hear the commotion. Hear the officers yelling, running over there. And instead of taking the, uh, you know, laying the ground... I always take a knee. So I'm literally there on one knee with one hand on the ground. Trying to look over there. Can't see anything. And bam, I got drop kicked from behind. When I got drop kicked from behind, 
I just started rolling. I mean, literally rolling. When that was happening, I was thinking, is this real? Then, bam, I got kicked in the face. And I knew it was real. It's hard to explain, but when I felt that kick to the face, it kind of snapped me to reality. And I knew it was a do-or-die situation. The first man that came at me, he was unlucky. Not exactly proud of this one, but, man, I gave him the hardest... And I mean the most hardest humanly possible uppercut between the legs. And I just heard him groan. Just like, Ugh. I thought, okay. I got up. Boom, bam, boom. I was getting hit from every direction. I knew I had to put a little bit of distance between me so I could turn around and see what's going on. As soon as I took off to try to put a little bit of distance between us, I slid into the ditch and my leg fell into the grate. I was trapped. I couldn't move. It was a free-for-all. They just started kicking me, punching me. And there was nothing I could do but try to pull them in with me. One of them I pulled in kind of, and his friends pulled him out. Man, I tell you what, it took a while for the police to realize what was going on because they were worried about the fight by laundry. Later, we find out the fight by laundry was totally fake. It was an entire distraction just so they could get me. When the guards finally realize what's going on over there with us, they run over there and tell everybody to get on the ground. Of course, my leg's still stuck. I can't even move. They're flipping, not realizing that, and I'm telling them I can't. I'm so covered in blood, they're just scared. When one of the officers there, he's a Beaumont fella, when he realized who I was, he came and got me. He told me, man, Snow, you're so bloody, I think you might have got stabbed. And when he told me that, I ain't going to lie, I panicked. I was thinking, Lord, man, they didn't kill me. Well, I couldn't feel it or anything else, but I know people going to shock. So he said, we're going to medical. Come on. So I literally jump on the little golf cart, which I normally would not have done. But since he scared me, thought I got stabbed, I was ready to go. As I get about halfway across the yard, something literally amazing happened. There was a wood named Josh from Oklahoma doing a 15-year sentence. He was about, I think, 12 in. Josh literally stood up in the middle of the yard and gave me the biggest salute. And that was so awesome, man. At that time, I didn't feel any pain. I didn't feel any trouble. I just felt respect. And that was good. I'm sure his Wood Brothers were probably like, what the hell later on? Probably had to answer to that, but he was a bad dude, so I'm sure there was no problems. So after Josh salutes me, we're literally right there by medical. I walk in, and there's an Asian nurse. The Asian nurse at Beaumont Medium, I'm sure everybody remembers her. She was rude, and she did not speak English that good. I'm literally swole up both eyes. My nose is hurting, broke. My lips are big. My shoulder's dislocated, broken. I'm bad. And all the lady can keep asking me is, what happened? What happened?
what happened. Finally, I say, lady, what the do you think happened? Leave me alone. And she gave me a shot. The shot they gave me was almost useless. I don't know what that is. Probably watered down knowing the BOP. And they give me the shot. They basically tell me I got to sit and wait so they can get orders and take me to the free world hospital. But I got to take x-rays first. This, ladies and gentlemen, was one of the worst feelings ever. To have a broken shoulder and beat up everywhere. Trying to position for all their x-rays. And Lord knows they didn't show no sympathy to an inmate. They're pushing it around like a rag doll with fractures all over. What I didn't know, and I wish I would have realized at that time, was that my brother Big C, the one that told me to go get the guy in the first place because he was 52, had just found out what was happening because they came in talking about it. And well, he didn't exactly know what happened, so that's the story. C went into a cell and magically appeared a big sword came out into the day room, yelled and screamed, made everybody pay attention and said, whoever did this to Snow better come on down right now and fade this. This ain't no sense of waiting. And nobody stepped forward. He straight up said, so whoever did it, y'all some bleep. And that's the most disrespectful thing you can say. But Lord knows they should have stepped forward because they knew who they were. They locked the prison down for the rest of the day and sent me to the free world hospital. That's where they had the real medicine and I stopped hurting. So I was happy to be there. When they brought me back that night, they put me in a shoe cell in the bottom tier in Beaumont that had no running water. Toilet didn't flush and the shower didn't work. And I literally have wounds to clean up and I'm dehydrated as hell from bleeding. They didn't care, man. That's how they do you. The next day, I find out C went to the rec yard because they locked him down that day. The next day, he went to the rec yard. He talked to the same Vato that I did. Called him out one-on-one. The Vato didn't want to go. But you know prison rules. That's a no-no. So the very next day, Vato was back there in the hole with us. Literally sending me a kite apologizing. Quite onto the yard. Tells me he's the I was the wrong person. Man, I couldn't even listen to it because I knew it was a lie. Prison politics, I just said, okay, bro, no big deal. And at that time, I didn't even know C was taking care of it. I had no idea C was the reason he was even back there. Found that out later. So I literally spent 73 days in the hole right then. Healing up. Shoulder healing wrong. In the hole in the feds, you can only buy one candy bar and one bag of coffee a week. That's the only commissary. Literally lost about 30 pounds and got transferred to FDC Houston and got to be a maintenance man, if you can believe that. I went from Beaumont to needing a knife, 
to Houston to walking around with screwdrivers and hammers and a cop. It was crazy, man. We'll talk about more later on. Thanks for having me, Tony. Stories written by a current prisoner and Texas prison stories. Make sure you're subscribed to both of them.